A common sense reality check for both the left and the right. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. Do we need as much Uncle Sam to protect endangered critters? Well, maybe, maybe not. We're going to talk about that in about 30 seconds. Also, California says President Trump must release his tax returns or they won't allow his name on the ballot next year. And in about 15 minutes, we're going to hear from Judicial Watch about that. I'm Mike Ferguson. Thank you for staying with us here on American Viewpoints. You know, the federal government is shifting how it protects endangered species, and they're looking to private sector solutions more than they have in the past. I'm joined now by Megan Hansen. She is with the Center for Growth and Opportunity, which is at Utah State University. Megan, thanks for the time today. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. One of the interesting things when it comes to the Endangered Species Act is how often it is framed as government protecting conservation and protecting animals versus private property owners who don't have an interest in it or at least don't prioritize it over profit. So is it possible for private property rights and conservation to coexist in a way that benefits both? It is possible, and in fact, my research suggests that it's essential that we focus on both. That's because endangered species rely on private land for their habitat. A lot of private land is where water is located. It's where a lot of biodiversity is located. And so getting private landowners involved in conservation is really crucial to the success of saving endangered species. Now, we just mentioned, or I mentioned a minute ago, that the uh, Department of the Interior is changing how it's approaching Endangered Species Act enforcement. What are the changes, kind of in a nutshell, that are, uh, that are about to happen or are happening right now? So one of the biggest changes, and the change I'd like to focus on, is that Department of Interior has announced they're going to restore this two-tiered approach to conserving endangered and threatened species. So endangered species we know are those on the brink or in imminent danger of going extinct. We've got to protect them now. And threatened species are those that may become endangered. Before this change, both groups were treated the same. They were both treated with a fairly top-down, restrictive, regulatory approach. The problem with that is it didn't allow any incentives, any rewards for those who got involved in helping species recover. With this new change, those who get involved in help Endangered species improve to the point that they're now threatened will also have the reward of a reduced regulatory burden. With the uh, Endangered Species Act, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, highly touted successes. The bald eagle would be, I think, maybe the best known. So a lot of people would argue, but the Endangered Species Act is working just the way it is. Why do we want to loosen regulations on property owners? That's a great point. And I do agree that the Endangered Species Act has done a lot of good. And if we zoom out and look at the law and look at its success rate over time, it's been really successful in preventing listed species from going extinct. Almost none of the listed species, almost none of those have gone extinct, which is fantastic. And you mentioned the bald eagle. These iconic American species like the grizzly bear, the American alligator, their recovery has been credited to the Endangered Species Act. But on the other hand, we can also look at the number of species that have been taken off the list. And that's fewer than 3%. And I think we can do better. My research suggests we can do a lot better uh, by better aligning incentives to get more people involved in helping these species recover. What kinds of incentives do you think would work to incentivize uh, property owners to get more involved in conservation without violating their property rights or their rights to do business or their ability to do business at a profit? 
You know, something that's worked really well already um, is safe harbor agreements. These were agreements created by the Fish and Wildlife Service uh, between the Fish and Wildlife Service and landowners. And they would say, private landowner, if you agree to improve your land and make it better habitat for endangered species, we guarantee that we won't impose any additional restrictions. And I think that's a good basic first step. We've we've heard stories, you know, generally from conservative circles of the uh, the property owner, the business owner who wasn't allowed to expand or to build a factory or to move something because a frog, you know, came onto their land or their the bird that's endangered flew over. And it's one of the ways that kind of riles up anger on the right in particular because it's viewed as a property rights uh, issue. But there have been significant unintended consequences of these regulations. And you wrote that in your recent op-ed in, in fact, that uh, some businesses have kind of preemptively uh, gone on to their property and, and done things like uh, cut down trees and everything before an endangered species could get there. So is there a case to be made that the regulations are having an unintended negative consequence on conservation in the name of protecting the animals? That's absolutely right. Um, our research, in our research, we reviewed surveys of private landowners across the country and their attitudes towards endangered species. And on the, on the positive side, we found that most landowners, the vast majority, want to be involved in conservation. They want to have endangered species on their land, but they do fear government regulations will inhibit their ability to earn a living. Um, a great example is from my home state. I'm here in Utah. In southern Utah, we have these Utah prairie dogs. Um, and a threatened species. And in surveys of private landowners, 34% actually admitted that they made their land lot less hospitable to the Utah prairie dog on purpose. And I think the fact that they're admitting that in a survey suggests that number is actually probably higher. So these punitive, restrictive approaches definitely aren't working as well as they could to get landowners who otherwise want to be involved in conservation involved in positive ways. Anytime you're talking about private property rights, it can get a, it can get very complicated when it comes to things like environmentalism, conservation, things like that. In your view, what is the right balance between government regulation of, of something of a public interest like endangered species versus private property rights and being free to do business as you want to do? It's a great question, and it's a big question, and I, I don't think I could say what the optimal balance is. But I do think the changes made last week um, are a step in the right direction. And I mean that in terms of improving the incentives so that people are rewarded for good behavior. They're rewarded for helping endangered species instead of punished for the behaviors we don't want to see. And that's the core of what our research finds is that positive incentives work much better at getting these folks involved. And since all of these endangered species rely on private land, it's really crucial that we do what works for them. Uh, and I think it's it's amazing because it shows that we don't have to choose between conservation or respecting property rights, that there's a way to do both effectively. We're visiting with Megan Hansen from the uh, the Center for Growth and Opportunity. And Megan, we just have a minute or so left here. It seems to me, and this is, I could be totally wrong, and don't be afraid to tell me if I am, uh, that we've tended to weaponize things like the uh, Endangered Species Act and other environmental laws um, for political purposes sometimes instead of just the, the intended purposes of a balance of conservation. What needs to change culturally, assuming that I'm even close to right on that assertion, 
What needs to change culturally to get back to the purpose of these particular laws and goals when it comes to the federal government versus or in cooperation with private property owners? Again, I think that's a great question. Uh, I think a lot of the problem lies in this desire for a one-size-fits-all solution. And I can understand that desire. For, for a big public policy problem like the endangered species issue, people want to know that we're taking action now, that we're doing all we can to preserve these species. But I think we need to look to the success of bottom-up emergent solutions, like we've seen with the greater sage-grouse. In 2010, the sage-grouse was proposed for listing. Um, and in response, Western states, the federal government, and private landowners all came together. And they helped improve habitat for the species to the point that in 2015, Fish and Wildlife said, this bird has recovered so much that we don't even need to list it anymore. And I think looking at these emergent solutions and allowing them to happen uh, that's really the cultural shift that we need to see. All right. Uh, you work at the Center for Growth and Opportunity. Uh, people want to learn more about not just what you write about and what you research, but about uh, what the center does. What's the best way to be in touch? You can check out our website, growthopportunity.org. We've got a lot of our research there. Be happy to um, answer any questions folks have as well. Megan, thank you so much for the time the perspective today. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Shifting gears, do voters have a right to see the tax returns of presidential candidates? Just ahead, Judicial Watch's Bob Popper joins us to talk about one state's requirement that could keep President Trump off the ballot. It's all ahead right here on American Viewpoints. I found a toy dinosaur over on the playground by Smith Street. Uh, it had this phone number on it, and, well, I just wanted to make sure the dinosaur made it back to its little owner. When I found the little sippy cup, I just had to give you a call. It's for a kid, you know? I know my son gets super attached to the smallest things, even a fire truck, and I'd be happy to drop it off. We'd do anything for kids, yet one in six children in the U.S. struggle with hunger. Help end childhood hunger near you. Learn how at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. You know, the windshield just glass broke and, and screeching, and I saw, you know, a body come down from off the top of the the van, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, what have I done? I just thought, what have I done? There's never, never a day that I, I wake up that I don't think about it. Learn more at itcanwait.com. A message from AT&T Missouri.